So there's been a nuclear attack. Don't ask me how or why, just know that the big one has hit, okay? So what do we do? There are three important steps that I want you to remember. Step one, get inside fast. Step two, stay inside. Step three, stay tuned. Follow media for more information. Don't forget to sign up for Notify NYC for official alerts and updates. And don't go outside until officials say it's safe. All right, you've got this. So you found yourself living in New York City. Don't ask me how or why, just know that you've made a huge mistake, okay? So what do you do? There are three important steps I want you to remember. Step one, get out of there fast. It might not be too late to escape the corrupted soul and drain bank account that comes with living in New York City. Just move now. Step two, don't trust the politicians. You might end up complicit in the murder of thousands of elderly people in their pandemic-riddled nursing homes. Or even worse, you might turn into a Sandinista. And step three, submit to the will of your new rat overlords. You belong to them now. Be sure to have a weekly tithing of pizza and urine ready to appease their bountiful rage. It's your only hope. So you found yourself living in New York City. I am so, so sorry. Perhaps the only thing to do is appeal to the dictators around the world. Just drop the bomb already. Because I assure you, we don't got this. Stu does America. What does the leadership of New York City know that we don't? Did you notice, by the way, their advice for a nuclear attack was the exact same advice they gave for COVID? Is, that, is anyone a little weirded out by that? Uh, BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to get your subscription to Blaze TV. If you use the promo code Stu, you will save $10. Yeah, it's true. Justin Haskins is going to join us with a new poll that he commissioned. Uh, this is a poll you may not have heard of so far. It's as much conservanerd porn you could, as you could possibly ever want in one day. Jill Biden makes a very Joe Biden-esque gaffe, but we start by doing the revenge of the Tea Party. Yes, the revenge of the Tea Party. What am I talking about? What do you mean the revenge of the Tea Party? I want to bring you through a little thing as it goes to Roe versus Wade and it's overturned. And I, you know, I've been listening to a lot of the coverage. I'm forced to do this every day. I do this for you. Every day I have to listen to these podcasts and read all these ridiculous publications, all these crazy left-wing lies, just so I can bring them to you and report on them. And uh, there's a lot of them out there. A lot of it has to do with just the way stories are told. Like this isn't even one of the worst offenders when it comes to podcasts, but this is the Start Here podcast on ABC. And just listen to the way they just recount all the zingers from Twitter as if it's part of the story. Kavanaugh has to duck out the back entrance before he even had dessert, to which Morton's, looking to defend its customers, issued an angry tweet saying, politics should not trample on, and they said it just like this, the right to congregate and eat dinner. Everything's fine. But you know what? What's really important is that we make sure Brett Kavanaugh can eat his dessert. You can guess what happened next. Morton's gets absolutely roasted. Abortion rights advocates were saying, seriously, the right to have dinner is the one you're concerned about? Some suggested that if Kavanaugh wanted to practice this right, he should travel to a different state, like so many women in states where abortion is banned. Ah, that's just like the abortion argument. You get it? You get it? We understand why that's part of a news story, right? The zingers from Twitter making it to the news. By the way, I think the right to eat is kind of something that is somewhat fundamentally 
important. But remember, Brett Kavanaugh is a guy that was almost murdered like two weeks ago, and they're treating it as this joke to inspire Twitter one-liners. This is constant in the coverage, especially when it comes to this particular issue. It's fascinating to listen to the left in the way they discuss abortion. They discuss it you know, kind of like how we would discuss like freedom of speech. Like it's so blatantly obvious, even if there are things about it you might not like, it's the most important thing in the world. Of course, it's fundamental to our country. When of course that's not the case with uh, abortion. It is, uh, you know, if it was a right when the Supreme Court gave it to you, it is no longer one. Uh, and of course it never was one. That's what the Supreme Court ruled. Uh, and I'm constantly told that anything the Supreme Court says is settled law. So here we are, boys and girls. I also want to bring you through uh, the uh, New York Times Daily podcast. This is from, this is their flagship podcast. It's usually like number one or number two on the charts. You know, this is something that the left widely listens to. And it's interesting to hear their kind of spin on this. They took some time after the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and they wanted to kind of come up with the storyline. What's the narrative going to be as to why this happened and how this happened? And you're not going to probably believe this, but you most likely played a big role in their narrative. It's pretty fascinating. Let me uh, let me give you uh, the daily setting up their thesis here. OK, tell me about how your reporting started. Well, we wanted a big story that would tell people when Roe was repealed, how this happened. And I sort of conceived of it as an obituary, really, for Roe. Um. And if you think about an obituary, you think about what were the key moments in someone's life when something turned. Right. And so I just started All asking right. people, you know, what was the turning point? And what was so striking to me was that people on both sides of the debate said the exact same thing, which is, you have to look at 2010. Hmm. You know, the abortion hmm. rights advocates felt really good. They had more support in the U.S. Congress than they'd ever had before. They, of course, had President Obama in the White House. Right. And right. they started having all these real policy victories, several of them related to President Obama's Affordable Care Act. And on the anti-abortion side, they not only suffered these policy losses in Obamacare, but they also suffered a real blow to their image because around the same time in 2009, an anti-abortion extremist assassinated an abortion doctor, George Tiller, in Kansas as he's on his way into church. So in their mind, as one person said to me, we were dead in the water. We had no movement. Now, it's it's fascinating that that was the big hit on the abortion, uh, the pro um, uh, life side. Every time I see a, a protester burn a building to the ground, I am told they are totally isolated incidents when there's violence that happens because of a uh, someone on the left, Antifa, beating the crap out of somebody in the street, kicking someone uh, you know, in the face, killing someone on the sidewalk. I'm constantly told that's the exception. It doesn't prove the rule. Yet we're defining the pro-life movement by one admittedly terrible, terrible act of violence. I, okay, I got it. But so the, the scene setting here is the left is in control. If you remember, if you go back to, uh, I mean, James Carville, I believe it was, wrote a book basically saying how after the Obama victory, the Republicans were just going to be a regional party from now on. This was over. The demographics were going to kick in and the re Republicans were toast. They were not going to be a national power anymore. The, the end was here. The end of history as it were. And the, the, the pro-life movement, obviously, in that environment has nothing. 
You know, I mean, there was there was a real it was a downer for the pro-life side as all of this was going on. But things started to change right after Obama got into office and started forcing through things like Obamacare, which most of the country didn't want. Here's the daily to give you that side of the story. The Obamacare debate unleashes a flurry of right-wing activism and helps give rise and fuel to the Tea Party, which is this new right-wing movement that says that they're really only concerned with fiscal matters. They don't care about social issues. They're mad about bailouts. And it's advertised as sort of a taxpayer revolt. And what happens is you have something of a shotgun marriage between the Tea Party, who are these fiscal conservatives, and more traditional Republicans, particularly conservative strategists like Karl Rove, who hatch a plan to use the 2010 midterms to take control of state houses and not only take control of state houses, but keep control of state houses. So, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that exactly. I mean, I think, you know, uh, we obviously were directly in the middle of everything that happened with the Tea Party, with Glenn and, and the radio show. And uh, that was the, I would say, the animating cause for the Tea Party. A lot of people talked a lot about uh, the fiscal issues that were going on at the time, but it was wider than that. I mean, it was a, it was a largely conservative movement. Uh, and I know for a fact, being, you know, someone who was right in the middle of all of this, that life was a pretty important issue to the Tea Party. Maybe it wasn't the highest profile, maybe not on the marquee uh, every single time uh, that there was a speech, but it was a big issue for the Tea Party. So we know, so you have Obamacare comes in, uh, it, it animates the Tea Party, brings it sort of to life. And it was also sort of just other, you know, fiscal policies along with a lot of traditional conservative concerns. And it winds up going to the 2010 election. And you may remember what happened in 2010. So on election night, this strategy works beyond their wildest expectations. Hmm. Voters also engineered a change in power in the nation's state legislatures. Republicans swept the state legislatures across the country. With at least 18 state legislatures switching to Republican from Democrat, a net gain of 500 seats. 500 seats. I feel like we look back at the Tea Party and we say, oh, well, you know, it was this thing and it kind of came and it kind of went. But 500 seats made a big difference. And part of the strategy here, why this particular election was so important, was because it's, it's an election that ends in a zero. So there's a census, and that means there's redistricting. It means the Republicans were in control of redistricting. Now, the Daily puts a lot of emphasis on that part of the story, saying, you know, uh, how, how evil that was, and they tried to uh, increase their power. Of course, this is what every freaking party does when redistricting comes around. This is what always happens. It's what's always happened for at least as long as I can remember. So what happens at the state level? Now, we know at this point Roe versus Wade is in place. Technically, Casey is really the controlling standard at this point. And Casey basically says, oh, you got to have uh, 23 weeks, 24 weeks. The you, you can't really regulate it before that. But the state houses decide to try to do everything they can. There is room for regulation. There always has been, even in Roe versus Wade, even in, under the Casey standard, there's always been room for some regulation. You can't just do anything all the time to these, you know, beings. You can't just get rid of them because you want to call them a clump of cells. There are some restrictions and always have been some restrictions. So, we go past the 2010 election. Republicans through the Tea Party wave are now in control of a lot of these state houses. They get some success in the fiscal stuff, but maybe not as much as, it, as certainly as I wanted at the time. But 
they continue to pursue their other interests as well, one of them being pro-life. Here is uh, the, the New York Times and their telling of uh, what Republicans started to do at the state level. So in March of 2011, they begin debating a bill that they claim would prevent abortions based on sex and race discrimination. For instance, aborting a baby because it's a girl, which can sometimes happen in countries like China or India, where there can be a preference to have boys, or a doctor or a mother making a choice to abort a baby because of skin color. Well, how prevalent is that? It's not prevalent at all. I mean, this is not an issue that most Arizonans or most Americans are thinking of or worried about, but it's a way to create kind of this sense that like something bad is going on with abortion, right? Like people are aborting little girls and that's so horrible. And like, why would you be discriminating against girls? And that's awful. Can you believe they were trying to do that? They were, let me get the quote here. They were trying to create this kind of sense that like something bad is going on with abortion. What? Something bad associated with abortion? What could it be other than, you know, the abortion? They talk about this as if it's like the most obvious thing to everyone. When you think abortion is ending a life, it's bad. It's not creating a sense that it's bad. It's just bad. Now, it is completely unclear to me if you happen to be someone who is pro-choice, why you would care if people were aborting children based on their gender or their race. If they're children, you should oppose it no matter what reason they're aborting the child. And if they're not children, you shouldn't care at all. It's not a little girl, as you might note. It's just a clump of cells. It's not a black baby. It's just a clump of cells. Why do you care? If you're on the left right now, not everybody that listens to this show is pro-life. If you're one of those people that are pro-choice, you probably are offended by that. You probably think to yourself, gosh, I, they shouldn't just be aborting kids because of skin color or, or because uh, it's a boy or a girl. That's terrible. Why do you think it's terrible? You shouldn't. If you're open to abortion, you should be totally fine with that. I mean, you might say to the to the mom and the dad, God, that's kind of a weird reason uh, to uh, to not have your baby. But, you know, it's not really a baby. Right. Your only defense in wanting to end life is to say it's not a baby. So if you are concerned about the color of its skin, you have a major inconsistency. It's time for you to examine. It's something you might want to think about a little bit more because the reason you're uncomfortable with it is because you should be uncomfortable with it. It's because it's ending the life of a child and it's making you think of it as a child, not a fetus, but a child. Anyway, that's kind of off the point. I just wanted to just address that really quickly for those out there who might not necessarily think that way. Um, you know, and again, I have no idea why the, the, the New York Times would care about that. Why would they think it's horrible? Why would they think it's so ghastly? Who cares? It's not a baby, right? That's your whole, the whole foundation of your argument. If that's not the foundation of your argument, you have not come up with a really rational argument unless you're just pro-murder. So I don't know, boil that one down and think it out a little bit. Um, The fascinating part about this is they're trying to paint this idea that Republicans through the Tea Party wave decided to come up and and pass these little restrictions that sounded reasonable, sounded rational, uh, and that would move the Overton window enough for people to start uh, understanding that they could go even farther when it came to restrictions on abortion. This is a very nefarious strategy, according to The New York Times. Listen. 
even if this law isn't actually going to affect that many people, it's all part of the destabilizing strategy. Boom, boom, boom. Lawmakers are proposing and passing laws that almost feel reasonable. They feel like nobody would disagree with them. But these laws are really about restricting abortion rights. They almost feel reasonable. Almost feel reasonable. Yeah, first of all, that's supposed to be the guideline of almost any law. So, yeah, they're passing laws they almost feel are reasonable. But why don't you think it's reasonable? Now, maybe they just think it's a clump of cells. So it wouldn't be completely unreasonable to care about the skin color or the gender of that baby. But my guess is that's not why they think it's so bad. They think it's bad because they want to get rid of abortion overall. And of course, when you think about it in the skin color and the gender part of this conversation, you kind of see why you want to kind of close your eyes and not think about that particular point. Um, So now you have a situation where Republicans have control of all these places and to the New York Times telling they've redistricted so hard and so hardcore that now the left can't get power and they really want power because they want to protect women's rights to abort children. Uh, So they go into this conversation about how it's basically unfair. You see, Republicans won this election in 2010 and then they redistricted and they were able to hold power in a lot of these states. And that's not fair because that's not what The New York Times wants. That's the problem here. It's not because it's like our system of government and how everything works. They don't like that. And for all these people that stand up and tell you all the time how important they find these institutions, look at them as they sit on the January 6th panel and tell you how vital these institutions really are. Then they walk out in the parking lot and tell you how the Supreme Court should be overthrown and we should throw 65 more justices on it. Listen to the telling once again from the New York Times to talk to you about the will of the people. The will of the people when it comes to abortion in many of these states doesn't really matter. Right. Right. And if Mm -hmm. you read the opinion Mm -hmm. overturning Roe, what Justice Alito and the conservative majority say is that they want to return the issue of abortion to the states. They want to return it to what they say, the quote, the people's elected representatives. Right. Mm hmm. But that's not really what's going to happen. That's not realistic Hmm. because the people's elected representatives are being elected in a system that's stacked. Oh, wait, I thought you guys loved democracy. What happened to that? What happened to this this waxing poetic about our system of democracy? Now it's a stacked system. Are you saying, I don't know, it's rigged? Is that is that what you're saying? Is it rigged against you? Is that what you feel? First of all. Look at more than half of the states are going to be allowing abortion. So obviously it did go to the states and obviously a lot of these states did wind up doing it. So I don't you don't even have a point when it comes to this. But that's overlooking the larger issue here, which is they constantly are preaching to us how important the day democracy almost died. January 6th. But when they don't get what they want out of this democracy, the Supreme Court should be disregarded. We should stop listening to them. The elections uh, give us these results of a stacked system, a rigged system. They sound just like everybody they're constantly criticizing. 
Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. I know, I have been on the losing side of abortion for my entire life. It's been a nonstop, just continuous loop of losing until like two weeks ago. And they, these people can't take it for one second. One freaking second. So, how does this get to the Tea Party? Well, I, I think about the Tea Party a lot because it was, you know, a big moment in the show's history. You know, you're talking about 2009, 2010, Glenn on Fox News. All these people are coming to the table. It's this really incredible movement. And we're right in the middle of it. We're having, you know, 500,000 people in Washington, D.C. Uh, for restoring honor. And a lot of times, because that moment came and it, and it passed, we think that nothing occurred. Nothing came out of it. But what the New York Times is telling you is that the overturning of Roe versus Wade directly came out of the Tea Party. Listen. So just to summarize all this, Democrats really failed to foresee the red wave that happened in 2010 at the state level. And their allies in the abortion rights movement were in a lot of ways equally unprepared for it because they all figured they were in pretty strong shape. They didn't see the Tea Party movement happening. They all took their eye off the ball. Absolutely. They didn't see the Tea Party coming. They didn't see you coming. They didn't see all the hard work you did to try to win those elections. They didn't see all the times you held your politicians' feet to the fire, all the rallies you went to, all the people you wound up getting excited and engaged and convincing to conservative arguments. They didn't see all that coming. They thought they had you already. They thought they had won. And because you, you fought so hard in that time, it led to a long series of events that led up to that Alito decision. And all of a sudden, many, many states and maybe millions of lives will be saved. That's thanks to you. And you should think about that as you go forward. I want to give you one more piece from this podcast. And this is, this is the warning. Because, because you've won, because you know, conservatives have won a lot in the Supreme Court recently, you may be in that exact same moment they were in back then. Listen. If you go back to 2010 and the Tea Party, they were all telling me that they learned from the left how to organize in state houses and how to get things done. Hmm. Now, the abortion rights groups are learning from the anti-abortion groups. They know that they need to go to each state and do what Republicans and anti-abortion groups did, but in reverse. Hmm. The abortion rights groups need to slowly build a foundation of protection around abortion. And to do that, they need to roam the halls of these state houses. They need to go law by law, race by race, state by state, just the way that Republicans and anti-abortion groups did. Mm. Does that sound like news or is that just advice to the left? The bottom line is they're right, though. That is exactly what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to do the same types of things that you did back in 2010 and 2011. And if we're not prepared for it this time, all this stuff can easily be unwound. It makes sense why people get life insurance. Um, you know, I mean, I go through like 15 drive-throughs a day, so I know my life could end at any moment. 
uh, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a little bit each month to protect the ones you love? If you're asking yourself this question, you got to choose Ladder. Ladder is 100% digital. There's no doctors, no needles, no paperwork. When you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, you just have to answer a few questions about your health in an application. Just need a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder smart ag- algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out if you're improved pretty much instantly. There's no hidden fees. You can cancel any time. Get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Ladder policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of, play, of actually paying claims. They're rated A and A plus by AM Best. Since life insurance costs more as you age, do it now. Get ahead of it while well, it's still a lot cheaper uh, and less expensive to go through. So go to ladderlife.com slash stew today. See if you're instantly approved. L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash stew. Ladderlife.com slash stew. I want to bring in Justin Haskins. He's the executive director of the Heartland Institute and co-author of a book you may have heard of before, The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism, written, of course, with our friend Glenn Beck. It's available now wherever you get your books. Justin, how's it going? I'm doing really well. Good to be on with you again. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, I want to get into the reaction to this most recent Supreme Court session with you, because you have the unique ability. You kind of have a job that if I wasn't doing this stupid job and this stupid show every day, I would love to do, which is you're able to kind of help come up with actual poll questions and ask Americans what they really believe about this stuff. And I find it to be fascinating. You have just come up with a, a new poll asking, asking a bunch of different things about the Supreme Court. Can you kind of walk us through how it came about and what, what the poll found? Yeah, so frankly, the reason it came about is because uh, I was, I, a bunch of us at the Heartland Institute where I work and commissioned these polls with Rasmussen Reports, uh, one of the leading national polling firms. Um, we're just incredibly interested in seeing how people would react to the recent Supreme Court cases, uh, not just the Roe v. v. Wade case, but also the EPA case and a bunch of other things that occurred over the past couple of years. But I didn't want to we didn't want to ask just the standard, boring favorability questions. I wanted to know what people actually think. And I wanted to be able to break it down by a whole bunch of different demographics to see if there was a difference between Republicans and Democrats and liberals and young people and old people and all that sort of thing. So we started asking questions. Uh, We conducted this survey, a thousand likely voters. So these aren't just registered uh, voters or people who are just uh, people on the street. These are people who say they're likely to vote. These are voters. And we asked them a bunch of questions. We asked about favorability of the Supreme Court. We asked whether they thought the Supreme Court was sexist. We asked whether they thought the Supreme Court was racist. We asked if they would wanna pack the courts with four more additional justices at the very least. And we asked if the United Nations should be in charge of the Supreme Court uh, and and have the ability to overturn it. We also asked uh, if if the Supreme Court should be abolished and we should just have a whole different Supreme Court. So yeah, it was was a lot of fun. I was skeptical that Rasmussen would actually let us do this, but they they were just as curious as we were. And what we found was absolutely incredible. We found that across the board on almost every question, Uh, Although the vast majority of overall voters said, we don't believe the Supreme Court is racist. We don't believe it's sexist. We don't want court backing. We don't want the United Nations in charge of the Supreme Court. We don't want to abolish it. Democrats, when we just looked at Democrats and we just looked at liberals, 
they, a majority of them supported almost every single one of those things that we just talked about. They believed it's sexist. They believe that it's fundamentally racist. They want to abolish it and the, the, abolish the Supreme Court. Uh, 40%, that was the only one that wasn't a majority, 40% or so of Democrats said they wanted the United Nations in charge of the Supreme Court, have the ability to overturn Supreme Court decisions. That was the only question we asked where we didn't get at least 50% of Democrats saying yes to one of those things that we just talked about. So the big takeaway here is the, the half of the Democrat Party has an incredibly radical view of the Supreme Court and what they want to do to the Supreme Court. Uh, so mm. I don't know. I, I'm frankly terrified of the results of, of the ball, just terrified of it. I'm a little uh, hesitant to say that we're going to do another poll like this again because I may throw myself off a bridge if we do or quit my job because this is this is really bad stuff. You know, I was watching some of the uh, January 6th commission, and yes, I do this so the, the viewers of this program don't have to. And, you know, it's so interesting how they just wax poetic constantly about democracy and our institutions and how important they are. And that holds until the second they get a result out of those institutions that they don't like. Then all of a sudden they're racist, they're sexist. And for some reason, the United Nations is going to overrule them. Yeah, it's it's really incredible. Um, I, I completely agree. I think that if we lived in a universe where left wing justices, activist justices were in control of the Supreme Court, I have a very hard time believing that the results would have been the same. So I think it's pretty obvious that the the ends justify the means is sort of the uh, the, the the standard belief amongst all of these people who answered these questions, right? They don't care exactly how they take the existing Supreme Court down. You could abolish it. You could expand it to 13 justices, though that's fine. You could put the United Nations in charge of it. That's okay. We don't care. Just get rid of this racist, sexist group of people and let us have our activist judges back. That's that's the bottom line. I think that's the biggest takeaway. I don't think it's a surprise that about the same percentage of people that we asked on the Demo within the Democratic Party uh, held to the, all of those same views. Let's expand the court, put the United Nations in charge of it, let's abolish it, doesn't matter. Let's just do something to get rid of these people. Let's talk about a couple of the specific questions here, because the packing the Supreme Court has been one that, you know, Biden has shown some hesitancy to jump on board with. But like immediately after Roe versus Wade was overturned, Elizabeth Warren was out in front of cameras telling everybody that we have to add at least four justices to the Supreme Court. They do really I mean, a good chunk of the Democratic Party legitimately believes this is just an OK thing to do when you start losing. You just add more uh, Supreme Court justices until you start winning. What what did the American people think about that? Yeah, more than 50 percent of Democrats believe that it was I think it was between 30 and 40 percent of all voters said that they would be OK with adding these justices. But most of that is Democrats and then a sizable chunk of moderates. I think it was somewhere around 30 percent or so of moderates said that they would be OK with that as well. Um, so. Without a doubt, there is definitely support amongst Democrats for packing the court. What I find interesting about that concept, and really the United Nations question also has this issue, and the abolishing the Supreme Court question has this as well, 
Any one of those things, abolishing the Supreme Court, packing the Supreme Court, putting the United Nations in charge of it, I'm pretty sure that would be the end of America. I mean, I think any one of those things happening, even the court packing, would probably be the end of America because we have, and that's, so you have to ask yourself, does Elizabeth Warren know that? I mean, she must know that if Democrats woke up tomorrow and suddenly had the votes to add four Supreme Court justices, that there's a pretty good chance that a lot of states would say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We're not going along for that. You mean to tell me after all this time we've had nine justices, you get some Supreme Court rulings that you don't like after a hundred years of us dealing with all kinds of activist cases that we think are total nonsense. And now you're gonna add four Supreme Court justices. You think the state Texas is just gonna be okay with that? They're just gonna sit these, yeah, okay, I guess. I don't think so. There's no way they would be okay with it. So the fact that there's so many Democrats who I think must know that Republicans would not be okay with that, 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 that could lead to the destruction of America and yet they wanna do it anyway. I mean, what does that say about our current situation, mm. I think? I mean, that's the part of this that's really terrifying is it's almost as though what Democrats are saying here, a sizable chunk of the voters, about half, is that they would rather see the country burn to the ground so that they could be king of the ashes. That they would rather have that than have America. And I mm. think based on everything we've seen over the past few years, that's not really shocking, but it is kind of shocking to see the specifics of it and how urgent and quickly all of these things are developing. I mean, like I said, I I was really depressed by it. I mean, I was excited when I saw the results because it's a great poll. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. a really great poll, but depressed, really depressed about the future of the country as well. We should also remember that in, in situations like Minneapolis, they literally don't mind burning it to the ground and being king of the ashes. So uh, this That's is right. not outside of their purview too much. Uh, one more here quickly on this, on the uh, on the uh, the craziest one you asked, which was the UN coming in and overruling uh, our Supreme Court. Uh, I mean, you know, unlike packing the court, there doesn't seem to be any real, mo you know, uh, people out there pushing that largely. Uh, but what you still found, and I, I want to dive into the crosstabs, which is always the most fun part of looking at polls. Younger people basically said yeah to this. Younger Democrats were 50-50 on whether we should have the Supreme Court be overruled by the United Nations, which we're not even a country. We, we, are, we have no sovereignty in that, in that instance. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Um, the question that we asked was if people would favor an amendment to the Constitution that would give the United Nations the authority to reverse U.S. Supreme Court decisions that U.N. members believe violate human rights. So this last case would be an example of that, Roe mm. v. Wade, that a lot of U.N. members say that's against human rights. You can't do that. So they could step in under this amendment, theoretically. And they could uh, uh, overturn the Supreme Court's decision on overturning Roe v. Wade. Now, you're right. We wouldn't have a country if that was the case. The really incredible thing about this is that it wasn't half of young Democrats who said this. It was half of all young voters across mm. the board that said this. Oh, my gosh. So when you project this out, if you look at this trend and you say, okay, well, what does America look like? Because it, not surprisingly, when you go down, the older the demographic gets that we polled, the less likely they were to be in favor of putting the United Nations in charge of this, right? So what does the country look like in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years when people who are staunchly opposed to this are either not voting or they're dead? Uh, what happens then? 
that to me is really the, the scariest part of all of this, is that younger people across the board, not just Democrats, were in line with all the things I said earlier about Democrats, about half of them supported all of these policies. So you're talking about if we don't make a dramatic change in the trajectory of how our young people are thinking, 18 to 39 years old, if we don't make a dramatic change soon, America as we know it literally will not exist. They would rather give it away to the United Nations than see conservative ideas and, and originalist conceptions of the Constitution be the law of the land. That is truly the most terrifying part of all of this, without mm. a doubt. Because you're right, we don't have a country at that point. Uh, we might as well just pack up. Absolutely remarkable. Justin, where can people go to get the details of this poll if they want to dig in as well? Yeah, they can find all the crosstabs, all the information at heartland.org. That's the Heartland Institute's official website. Yeah, check it out there. Justin Haskins, he's the executive director of the Heartland Institute, also co-author of The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. You can grab a copy of that, of course, today. Justin, thank you so much for coming back on the program. Thanks, Stu. I was just talking about a book that was co-written by uh, one Glenn Beck. Uh, and another thing that Glenn Beck has done over the years has also uh, been to come up with realestateagentsitrust.com. Yeah, it's a website. It's a business he started, which I think when we were leaving the Northeast and he was having issues selling his house. He had a problem with a real estate agent or two and said, you know what? Why don't we come up with a better way? I feel like I'm just guessing at who the best real estate agents are. Then just like with Justin on the book, he brought in people that actually knew what they were talking about and had them put the, help them, you know, kind of put that all together so that at the end of the day, you have a fantastic pro uh, product that, like the book, uh, Glenn inspired and, 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 and invested a lot of his time in, but then also you had someone there to say, oh uh, yeah, uh, not, uh, make sure you don't do it that way, Glenn. It's, con it's a controlled Glenn Beck. The best Glenn Beck is a controlled Glenn Beck, and that's what realestateagentsitrust.com is. Someone who really knows the real estate uh, agent in your area that is the best for you is going to be behind this and help you make that decision. realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there now. Check it out. realestateagentsitrust.com. If you feel like nothing you ever do when it comes to politics matters, I know I get there sometimes, and if, you, if that's you, I want you to go back and listen to the monologue from today's program. I want you to think about it a little bit and about the differences you really have made. You, you have made a huge difference in this country in, in such a positive way. And, you know, if, with any luck, millions of people will be born that would not have previously, and those people can... You know, they might wind up to be the next Albert Einstein. They also might be the crappy waiter at Taco Bell that screws up your order. But either way, they deserve to live. And you can commemorate that day uh, with our new line of uh, 62422 merch. It's available at stewdoesmerch.com. It's the date, 62422. That was the day the ruling came down from the Supreme Court. It has a little flag on it as well. It's subtle. It's a nice, easy way to remind uh, yourself and everybody around you that, you know, life actually matters. And I will say, not everyone's going to know 
what 624 22 is but there's a good chance they're going to ask you about it uh, especially if if they have an idea that it might be about a pro-life cause if they're on the pro-life side and also you know the annoying liberal with the crazy you know orange hair that's walking by you and the 47 uh, nose tattoos and earrings they're going to walk by you and have no idea what it is so you don't have to discuss it with them at all 624 22 merch available now stewdoesmerch.com the code is stew10 if you want to save 10 percent stewdoesmerch.com If you're going to make a big purchase, you need to know about the three-week rule. It could be the best financial advice you'll ever hear. Uh, What's the three-week rule? Well, wait three weeks to buy that new car. Wait three weeks to refinance your home mortgage. Wait three weeks to buy $100,000 of merch from StuDoesMerch.com. Why should you wait those three weeks? Well, that's how fast the average ScoreMaster user takes to boost his or her credit score. An average of 61 points. You can get your credit score way up, and then you're going to save money on the payments for all that merch that you just bought. I mean, everybody wins. ScoreMaster technology was developed by credit scientists who, of course, boost your credit score higher and faster than you thought possible because it's easy. It only takes about a minute and uh, you can get started without having to wait months for your best credit score. How many points can you add to your credit score? I mean, 61 is the average. Can you do even better than that? Go to scoremaster.com slash stew right now. Get the special seven-day trial that we've got lined up for you. Scoremaster.com slash stew. Check it out now. Get your credit score where it should be with Scoremaster at scoremaster.com slash stew. Raul helped build this organization with the understanding that the diversity mm-hmm. of this community okay. As distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, Bogodas. as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, oh, okay. and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first of all, bodegas, I believe is the word she was going for there, not Bogodas. <laughs> And, uh, you know, usually, this is just a random rule, people don't generally like to be compared to tacos. Now, I don't understand that personally. I would, you know, I I will say this. She got a lot of heat for the breakfast tacos thing. All it made me do all day was want to eat breakfast tacos. I got to be honest with you. All day, all day, I've wanted a breakfast taco, and I I don't have one yet, and that's... That's a problem. That's a problem with the blaze. I mean, if you are happen to be a conservative media personality out there and you're thinking to yourself, should I come work for the blaze? Maybe not, because they don't have a breakfast taco bar here when Jill Biden says breakfast tacos and I want them. So think about that. Now, Jill Biden uh, did get uh, some heat. (laughs) By the way, uh, I have to at least read you part of this statement from one of these uh, organizations. Uh, The NAHJ encourages uh, Jill Biden and her communications team to take the time to better understand the complexities of our people and our communities. We are not tacos. (laughs) I just like the fact that they that they typed that. Um, Now, Jill Biden got a lot of heat for that one. She had to apologize, blah, 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 blah. You know who's not going to get any heat for this one? LeBron James. Let me give you this. LeBron James, who is just absolutely terrible. Uh, Get the don't be an idiot, don't be a LeBron uh, cup and T-shirt at studosmerch.com as well. Uh, He was talking about uh, Brittany Griner. And he says, now, how could she feel like America has her back? I would be feeling like, do I even want to go back to America? Is that how you'd feel in Russian prison there, LeBron? Is it is how you you would be in Russian prison sitting there going, you know, I don't know if I ever want to go back. This seems wonderful, I guess. I'll stay here forever. Well, 
just a bit of advice. If you're feeling like taking a little vacation anytime soon here in the offseason, might I recommend LeBron a one-way ticket to Moscow? You can stay as long as you like, and I promise you, nobody will ever care if you come back. You know, it's Tuesday, and it's pretty much the first day that my internal organs feel like they're operating again since our most recent Power Hour, which, by the way, is going to be, I think, our biggest one ever, it looks like. Um, thank you so much for checking it out. You can check it out at stewdoespowerhour.com. Uh, I was there, of course, Lisa Page, Andrew Heaton, Chad Prather, Alex Stein, Sarah Gonzalez, some of the screenshots. Post your favorite screenshots from it because there's so much idiocy in this particular hour of programming. Uh, some of them have been fantastic. StuDoesPowerHour.com. It's StuDoesPowerHour.com. <laughs> 